Hello, is this thing on? Of course it is. They can definitely hear us. Yeah, we're in our fourth season. There's no silencing us now. Welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion on health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And I'm Sarah Fung, and we are your podcast hosts. Please make sure that you subscribe to our new YouTube channel where you can watch our podcast in video format. Please hit the subscribe button. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, leave us a rating and review. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week to the Greeners podcast. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts for today. So we are going to talk about such a hot topic, such a topic that means so much to Canadians. And we also think this is going to be such a boss uh, podcast episode because we have not only just another nurse here, but a nurse who's also an influential politician. So before I take it away, I will pass the mic over to Sarah to introduce our guest for today. I am absolutely in awe of our guest today. Um, we have today someone really special, the Honorable Kamal Kara, who was first elected as Member of Parliament for Brampton West in 2015. Minister Kara is one of the youngest women ever elected to Parliament. As a registered nurse, community volunteer, and political advocate, she is passionate about improving the lives of those around her. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And I, can I just say I was fangirling a little a little bit about you guys because I think you guys are such rock stars um, and, and, and how you guys truly use uh, this platform to amplify the voices of nurses, but not just nurses, but talk about issues that really matter in our communities on health and healthcare. So um, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for having me on your podcast and really looking forward to this. Uh, I hope a really fun conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Fun and definitely illuminating because I think that there are a lot of questions about the topics that we'll be talking about today. So Sarah, take yeah, it away. Absolutely. And I think we have a lot in common. So we're equally fangirling you today. This yep. is this is going to be a fun <laughs> episode. So uh, for those of you that don't know um, Kamal, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your current role and what it is that you do. Absolutely. So I am a proud member of parliament for a beautiful riding called Brampton West. Um, um, and I've been a member of parliament for the last uh, seven and a half uh, years. I got first got elected back in 2015. And I am also a federal minister of seniors in Canada. So I get to work um, alongside incredible people and get to do what I do best, which is meet seniors in, in communities all over Canada, talk about issues that matter to seniors. And of course, um, a lot of issues related to our older adults and healthcare and everything in between that I know we all also care about when it comes to, of course, our nurses. So I'm very passionate about healthcare, very passionate about, um, you know, supporting our communities um, in, in, in ways that I think we all do. And so I get to do what I, what I love and 
really again good to be here with you to talk about these things yeah we're we're like we said we're we're in awe we want to know more we always talk about like nursing is political nursing and politics and a lot of folks don't even know that you know as a nurse you can get into these various different types of roles so again we know that you're a nurse could you tell us a little bit about your background in, in nursing uh, maybe even why you became a nurse and really how has your pathway kind of led down to this role that you're in now because that's that's the conversation we really want to know about that Absolutely. Well, I think first thing I want to say is I think I, I remember as a nursing student even, and I actually, I, I spent a lot of time talking to, uh, you know, going to different, you know, universities and colleges and talk to young nursing students when they think about, you know, what their careers could look like, right? Because right. reality is nurses are everywhere. Like nurses are, you know, we're, we're in public health, we're in proactive health, we're by the bedside, we're in acute care, uh, we're in research development, and we're politicians. I mean, I remember the very first things that we're taught as nurses, I remember, is to be an advocate. And, you know, we are the biggest advocates for our clients, our patients. And um, I, I don't think my role now is any any different than it was before, because now I just get to advocate for uh, uh a larger group of people, which is Canadians. Uh, and in my role as, of course, Canada's Minister of Seniors, it is about our older Canadians. Um, but I I mean, I was very young when I got into politics, uh, <laughs> uh, not, so, not so young anymore. Um, but so I, um, I graduated from York University. That's where I did my nursing. Um, and then I worked at St. Joe's Hospital in Toronto in an oncology department, um, which is oncology palliative but you don't but you know how things are like it right. also turns into an, an, an acute um, medical unit as well that's just the reality of our of our healthcare um, and within our within our hospitals and uh, but I've also been really passionate about you know doing things in our community so I was always I was involved and I, I loved politics I loved to see how we can make difference in our community um, and so I uh, I was part of the Young Liberals Club at York University and just got involved, um, got involved there. And, I, and back in 2015, I remember there was, you know, immense, uh, you know, issues within my community. You know, when you talk about healthcare, but when you talk about affordability, when you talk about climate change, like these are things that I was very passionate about uh, in my community. And I felt that uh, our voices weren't heard, uh, to be honest. Um, and so I... Didn't know how it was going to go, but I put my hand up. Uh, I, you know, within the process of how things work, you know, I put my hand up to uh, be a candidate, uh, the liberal candidate in 2015. Um, and I can tell you a lot of people were like, what is this? 25 year old nurse gonna do like I mean dude did you just start your career like maybe you right should, right you know spend some time and 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 I think one thing I learned really early on is like we like we're advocates from the day we're born particularly as women I always say like we have the loudest voices and things that we care about people here um and I just put you know, put everything aside and, and really worked hard and talked to a lot of a lot of people in my community, uh, lots of door knocking. And, uh, you know, who doesn't like being a, being an underdog? And, and you know, uh, <laughs> right, hard yeah. work paid off. And I became a, you know, good people of Brampton West uh, gave me the best job ever, which is to be a member of parliament um, to uh, of this beautiful, beautiful community of Brampton West. So that's how I got, got involved in politics. Um, and it was really neat because one of the very first um, opportunities that I was appointed was also uh, becoming a parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Health, um, wow. which was very neat for me because 
if I can be candid, I didn't even know how the system really worked. And you learn a lot, you know, when you first get elected. Um, but it was really neat to be able to talk about things that I think we all care about. And we uh, put in a lot of funding for our mental health at the time. Uh, medical assistance in dying was a very hot issue that we had to dealt with to having that voice and working in oncology and palliative care. I think I really brought that forward um, and in shaping that policy. Um, so these are things that I remember I got to work on very early on. And I mean, I, now I've been elected now for the last three years, uh, sorry, not for the last three terms and I get to do some really exciting things. I've been, a, you know, worked at, served as parliamentary secretary to the Minister of uh, International Development and work, a lot of work even on that front on, uh, because we have a feminist international assistance policy, we do a lot of work, uh, you know, on sexual reproductive health rights, not just in Canada, but around the world. So get to work on shaping that policy uh, internationally. And of course, uh, working uh, as an, uh, of course, appointed as parliamentary secretary previously as um, uh, for the Minister of National Revenue. So got to learn how all the finances work, um, and, and how all that correlates with all the public policy when it comes to our healthcare kind of puts being gets kind of put front uh, at the center. So um, it's been a learning experience for sure. I learn every single day, as 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 I'm sure you guys would agree. I, I think as nurses, we never stop learning, uh, and it's what makes us. I think one of the best um, advocates in the world. That's amazing. Like, I think you just embody so many of the characteristics that we love about nurses. Like, I love how you say that uh, all nurses are advocates, which is completely true. It's something that we can use in very many different uh, aspects of our lives. Um, the fact that you are a champion for seniors, the fact that you are doing so many great things, you know, the intersection of healthcare and politics is so important. We're always seeing that. Um, I know that, of course, uh, the topic of seniors came up a lot during the pandemic, especially some of the conditions in long-term care. My grandmother was actually in long-term care and passed away from COVID during the pandemic. So um, obviously this is very near and dear to my heart. And I'm just wondering right now, what do you see are some of the top priorities um, for seniors in, um, in your role? Absolutely. And, and thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, and I think, I think as nurses, we always knew the realities and tragedies that existed in, in the long-term care homes way before the pandemic, right? And and it's actually very unfortunate that it took this pandemic for Canadians to realize what that that's like. Um, and, you know, I remember back in uh, March 2020 when the pandemic first hit during the first wave, and I remember... Um, you know, I remember RNO had put all a call for action to, you know, to say, you know, retired nurses or nurses that are not practicing to put your hand up and get back into the, you know, we need volunteers. Um, and I put my hand up and I had the opportunity to put my scrubs back on and help out and volunteer at one of the hardest hit long-term care homes in Ontario. Um, if you would recall, there were four in Ontario that the Canadian Armed Forces, Canadian Armed Forces was called upon to help. Um, and it was one of them uh, that I got that I was working alongside uh, with some incredible nurses, um, but very very challenging situations. Right? I mean, we've all seen those 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 realities and tragedies, and um, and you know you know when you talk about nurses and the resiliency of nurses, I remember I was working with um, this RPN called Heather. Um, you know, Heather, she didn't she's been a nurse forever. She didn't she didn't go home for two weeks. And she stayed in a long-term care homes because she there was just not enough people, right? Like when you, I remember this was a resident that half of the residents had tested positive, half of the staff had tested positive, 
and half of them didn't show up because they didn't know. Like this is such, you know, super early on. Um, and and I can tell you those realities and those experiences is now uh, as a minister of seniors, I carry those experiences with me every day. Um, so I remember back then even, um, you know, one of the things that we did was a sent in boots on the ground for the federal government, you know, whether it was Canadian Armed Forces or Red Cross, uh, you know, throughout the country where it was needed. Um, we then made sure, you know, we put aside $1 billion safe long-term care fund so that provinces can have those tools in place to be able to get that support as quickly as possible. But one of the things that I'm very proud of, and and you know the thing is, a lot of people don't realize uh, the fact that, like in the Canada Health Act at the federal level, we don't really have jurisdictions over long-term care homes, right? It's under the provincial governments. Um, but we had to make sure those standards of care are are are, are up to the par of what that needs to be, right? So um, one of the things that uh, that we did at this time was gave money to two associations, which is Health Standards Organization and the Canadian Standards uh, Association, uh, which worked at least for two years uh, to come up with the standards, the long-term care standards uh, that were just released this January. And, and I truly believe these standards um, reflect what Canadians want because they did so much consultation talking to um, seniors themselves, healthcare workers, you know, uh, caregivers and others to be able to come up uh, with these standards. So now we have these national standards, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, and the fact that we also have $3 billion uh, that we put aside so that these standards can now be applied. Uh, so we're working with provinces and territories right now to make sure that work um, is ongoing because um, regardless of where seniors live, we need to make sure we do a better job of supporting them. And I think those uh, tragedies uh, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes I, I sometimes think that people have short term memories. And I think part of my job is making sure that we're constantly reminding Canadians of what that was like and including um, sometimes the provincial governments if I can be candid uh, you know uh, with the two of you um, and so now that money's there to make sure those standards can be applied uh, so that we never get to see those uh, horrific conditions that we got to see during long term uh, during the during the pandemic or or even now sometimes to be honest yeah so one of the things that you mentioned was these standards and I, and I just want to be very clear so so our listeners have a really good understanding of uh, what they, what they look like and what they are. So um, previously, like we have a very, we have all these different provinces. So you did mention a national standard. Is this something that from a federal perspective is across the board that all provinces now must follow? Or is it something a little bit different? So these are standards. I call them Canadian standards because it truly reflects the voices of people uh, that that want to make sure that change is made, and both CSO and HSO worked. CSA and HSO worked extremely hard, um, and actually, Health Canada actually gave them funding to have these uh, very extensive consultations to talk about um, to talk about what these standards should actually look like, um, and. As, as I mentioned before, part of now my job is to make sure, and when I say my, when I say it's with the Minister of Health and myself, uh, is to not work with provinces and territories to implement and make sure those standards are enforced. So right now, currently 60% of the standards, close to 60% are will already be accredited. 60% uh, long-term care homes will already be accredited by these standards. Um, but 
we need to make sure 100% of them do, right? So there's still the 40%. So now we're working with provinces and territories on negotiating with them how that may look like. And we also put aside now $3 billion at the table to say, this is the money. Use this money to enforce this. But this is what Canadians want, and they really should reflect uh, what what the realities of of long term care show, long term care uh, home should look like in this Canada in this country. So we're working really hard to make sure they enforce these standards. Um, and I and I can assure you, uh, and I think that's a nurse in me. We're gonna make that happen. <laughs> yeah, I think the the biggest piece and the biggest fear uh, surrounding this whole thing was that accountability piece, right? I think that's Absolutely. one of the things that we continue to like push and ask for is to ensure that you know if we if we do have standards, and I think you you know because you're a nurse as well that uh, you know like for example hospitals have an accreditation process, and if yeah. their hospitals aren't accredited, you know they 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 don't they don't meet the national the standards and they're not meeting the standards of care, and I think yeah. that's something that a lot of us were really concerned about in long-term care. So I'm actually really glad to hear that there's going to be some standards, some national standards that will be looked at in terms of making sure that there is accountability in relation to the care. And I think the other piece that I was kind of thinking about too, as we were talking is, is really looking at those nursing ratios. I don't know if there's anything that has been discussed with your your office. I I remember actually working in long-term care myself. I did a very short stint there. Um, Not just saying it wasn't for me, but I think at the time I was there, there were those challenges, those same challenges that we discussed just earlier in the episode and one of the things is nursing standards um and i hope i'm not jumping the gun here did i jump the gun Uh, you know what i actually i actually just wanted to pipe in and say that um i think a lot of the public's trust in long-term care has been eroded so i think these standards will really bring back some uh trust right and i think that's really important because a lot of people feel like even even a lot of elderly, right? They feel like going to a nursing home is like a death sentence. And we yeah. don't want people Absolutely. to feel like that. And Absolutely. with everyone, with the general population aging, this is not something that we want people to feel. Um, so I do feel like the standards are a big step in the right direction. I also think that, um, you know, there are many concerns about oversight in addition to the standards, access to treatment, and of course the biggest issue is ALC beds. Do you feel like there are... Um, policies that discriminate against seniors when it comes to uh, these aspects? Well, that's a really good question. And I think one of the things um, that, again, I when, I when I think back to when I first uh, joined politics and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, change the status quo and I'm going to change all these things. Um, but also one of the things that I think I learned really early on is uh, when it comes to healthcare, right? Like it is a shared responsibility. Um, and a lot, and I, and I hope a lot of people, and I do a lot of education in, in, in that front as well, because, you know, everyone sometimes seems to think that, okay, the federal government will impose this and the provinces get it. Like, that's just not how it works, right? Like, we actually have a shared responsibility uh, when it comes to the federation that we have. So as, as a federal government, uh, you know, we have funding models, we have standards that we set, uh, and, and, and these are things that, and, and making sure that that standard is kind of nationally looking at what that may look like. Um, but that the provinces also have a huge responsibility because they are the, the, the jurisdiction that actually delivers the care, right? Um, and, and those conversations are very interesting always. I can tell you some of the health accord uh, discussions that we were just having earlier this year. Uh, the fact that, you know, we, we put forward close to $200 billion in, um, in, in healthcare agreements. Um, but we said, and this, is, and this is why it's so important, because I think you 
hit a very important note is it but it's making sure that money is ju- not just going to the provinces to, to to say you know what do whatever you you want with it but it's making sure there are specific outcomes attached to them uh and i can tell you this has been um uh, always a, a point of um uh, you know, the, re- the reality is, you know, provinces will say, well, we know best how to run our jurisdiction uh, of the needs of our, our, our community and the needs of our province, right? So give us the money. And we've done that in the past and we've realized that does not work. Um, I remember when uh, back in 2017, when I was mentioning when I was parliamentary secretary to the Minister of, uh, Minister of Health at the time, we put aside billions of dollars into home care. Um, funding, right, for for provinces and territories. And and reality is now I get to see that even as a minister of seniors, like, I don't know where that money is. And I don't know how that money was actually. And and these are questions that seniors asked me myself, like, you know, there was this announcement of, of billions of dollars, where is that money? But it's about making sure those outcomes are there. So now when we negotiated with provinces and territories, and this was um, in actually earlier in February, when the prime minister met with all the premiers, and we put aside $200 billion of um, of funding agreements, it was to make sure there's four big priorities that we talk about. So first is around making sure, uh, you know, when you talk about family health teams, right, the fact that people don't have access to family care doctors or nurse practitioners or others of the community, right? Like, where do people end up if they don't have that support at the community level? They end up in hospitals. Like, we need to change. We need to change the narrative and making sure that we're thinking of having and making sure that people need to have family care health teams, family care doctors, nurse practitioners at the forefront. Second is, is around supporting our supporting our healthcare workforce, right? Like we've seen challenges in recruitment. We've seen challenges in retention. We've seen challenges in making sure that there's mental health supports for our healthcare uh, workforces. And that also means, you know, better wage up top-ups for nurses, for PSWs and others that work in these professions. So there's that, that, that is like the second uh, big uh, bucket that we have that that we want to make sure we want to see outcomes. We want to see results. The third is around uh, mental health. Uh, and, and making sure that mental health piece is actually integrated in primary care, right? Like you can't, we can't have the same revolving door issue when it comes to, you know, something extreme, something extreme happens to to an individual and they're out in the community with no supports again. Um, so making sure that's integrated with, with primary care. And third piece is around data. And this is a big piece because we do a really when I say we, like in Canada, like we do a really bad job at collecting data. Um, And we can't just be, uh, you know, talking about, yeah, we need help in this part and this part and this part, unless we actually have data to look at. And and we now have asked, and the prime minister is very uh, big on this because he's like, we need to make sure where there's needs, where there, what's working, what's not working. The reality is we don't even know how many PSWs exist in Canada. Like that's, that is when I talk about data, like we need to make sure we're, we're really looking at that, that piece. Um, so, and, and, and when I say this, so we're very clear with provinces and territories, these are the outcomes that we want. And these outcomes, uh, now the provinces are working, uh, and I, my colleague, the Minister of Health is talking to provinces and territories, negotiating and said, provinces need to come up with an action plan to say how you will actually reach X, Y, Z goals um, that we talked about. And and not just the fact that 
when you talk about accountability, and it's not accountability to the federal government, it's accountability to Canadians. Um, and that data needs to be public uh, because that is key in making good policies and good decisions. So when, when we talk about some of the, the challenges, um, uh, and I remember one of the things that I always think about is it's kind of showcasing to Canadians how different levels of governments work and why we also need to make sure we're advocating for the right things with the right governments. Because the reality is we all know the issues, but we need to make sure that we're pulling those levers where where, where those um, uh, where those issues and outcomes that we need to see. So um, I don't know if I answered your question. I don't know where we're going with this, to be honest, but I kind of wanted to uh, take it back because I think... Um, just l- being inside the government, um, I think sometimes on the outside, you don't really see how it all kind of works out and it plays out. Uh, but I think um, the more and more I talk to, a p- a particularly like the new uh, nurses, students and, and uh, you know, new graduates and young people to say, use your voice at every level, because, uh, you know, even at municipal levels, even at, you know, within your house, hospital management level, like use your voices at every, every level, because it truly does have an impact. Um, so I'll leave it there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I answered your question or what the question was, to be honest, but, but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the jurisdictional challenges uh, that I think we we have in the federation uh, that we are in Canada. Yeah, no, I think you touched on a lot of good points. I, I do want to circle back to one thing because I think the other thing that Canadians really want is is fiscal responsibility. You talked about sometimes Absolutely. not even knowing where like the money goes, and I think that there's a lot Absolutely. of conversation concerning, um, particularly here in Ontario, with you know public versus privatized forms of healthcare, yeah. and particularly in long term care. We know that some of these facilities are owned privately and it's like how do we get this um i guess what the question that i'm asking it goes back to you know the but the budget saying that there might be some strings attached so are there any strings attached that we know about from a federal perspective that will again i think it's i think the word is like protect actual seniors from you know some of these things whether it's you know like i was kind of mentioning and i kind of was going a a round way about it but like you know nursing staffing ratios um seeing that some that um in long-term care the ratios can be kind of out of control like one to one rn to like 32 residents or even looking at things like meals i think one of the things that i heard over the long um from various other healthcare advocates long-term care advocates that some folks aren't even being fed really great meals or you know certain things like that so how do we again ensure that you know we are doing our due diligence and best to protect seniors from that federal perspective. Are there more strings that are attached to the the finances that we send to the provinces? Absolutely. And I think that is exactly what the conversation has been um, for the last a number of months, particularly, you know, I say post-pandemic and I feel like we're never really out of it. Uh, um, But but talking about Canadians need... um, Canadians need to see outcomes, right? So we can't be pouring money into a system sometimes that quite honestly has not been living up to the expectation that we have, that we as Canadians are so proud of, right? Because, you know, you you think of Canada and you think of our publicly funded healthcare system. And that is at the core, I can assure you, at least from the federal government's perspective. And I can, the prime minister has been extremely clear to the premiers. uh, We are proud of our publicly publicly funded universal healthcare system and and you should be receiving and always getting healthcare based on your ability uh you, you know to and access healthcare on your ability to actually uh because 
you just need your health care. Uh, you just need your health card to actually need health care, not your credit card. And I think he's been very clear on that front. And as a federal government, um, we've always we've also, you know, uh, sometimes taken money back, uh, you know, from provinces that have not been kind of living up to that, uh, uh, living up to that a level of um, uh expectation that Canadians has uh, have. Um, and so so when we talk about these expectations, and this is a conversation that's exactly what we've been having with provinces, and it's not, again, accountability to the federal government, so then you will get the money, but it is accountability to Canadians. So, you know, making sure we, uh, you know, reduce those backlogs that we've seen after the pandemic, making sure, you know, our, our emergency, uh, the, the surgical backlogs that we've seen, like, there needs to be, the provinces need to show us how the money was actually spent and that money and, and, and those action plans and those indicators need to be public to Canadians. So, and we can only know that once we have the data, right? So that is why those pillars and, and those indicators are so important in having that conversation. When you talk about the, um, the nursing ratios and and particularly long-term care homes. And you hit the nail, like you're absolutely right. And that is why, you know, when you talk about the standards that HSO and CSA talked about, um, you know, I always talk about HSO and CSA as, you know, two things as, as, as Dr. Sina, as you know, always explains to me, it's one is a hardware and the other one is a software. So the hardware piece is like uh, the CSA piece, which is how should a, a facility look like, right? Like, because we've saw, uh, you know, the, unfortunately during the pandemic, we just didn't have the infrastructure in place to be actually have, you know, to actually separate uh, COVID from non-COVID patients at the time. And that kind of, you know, uh, exacerbated the, the realities at that time. And the software piece is exactly what you talked about, the nursing ratios, the PSW ratios, and some of those work conditions for them and making sure that they're supported in that way, right? So that's what those standards are all about. Uh, and and they really do need to, and they really reflect what Canadians have been asking for because, because of the ex extensive consultations that both the groups did in, in actually coming up with these standards. So um, yes, and we've told provinces and territories now that we're having conversations with them, there's money at the table. Uh, and this is not the end also. Uh, to, so there's money at the table uh, for them to actually in, uh, implement these standards uh, in their provinces and in, in, in territories. But this is also not the end. Uh, the, we've also will be working, uh, hopefully in the very near future, coming up with our Safe Long-Term Care Act. Um, so all these things and pillars are going towards exactly what you talked about. It, it is about making sure doesn't it shouldn't matter where seniors are living in this country. They should relieve the same standard of care. So it doesn't matter if they're in Newfoundland and Labrador or they're in here in Ontario, that level of care should be um, at par um, in Canada. So we are, we're using every lever possible, I can tell you, uh, and, and making sure that 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 is at the core of everything that we do, uh, everything that we do, and that it's rooted in dignity and respect. Because uh, fundamentally, what we've seen, and you know, it's, and I always say this, like, people do have short term memories, right? Like, it's one issue after the next, and what's next. Um, my job is to make sure we we bring these issues are always at the forefront. Um, and I can tell you, um, 
I do that in every meeting that I, I am in, uh, when I'm at the cabinet table, when I'm in a meeting with the, our, our federal, provincial, territorial ministers meeting, which we just had uh, for seniors uh, three weeks ago here in, in, in Toronto. Um, when I had an opportunity to talk to every single um, seniors min- ministers in Canada, talked about why this matters. And there's some really interesting, good work happening in different provinces and territories that I think we all need to learn from as well. But fundamentally, it's about making sure that we're serving Canadians, uh, and in my role, particularly as a minister of seniors, uh, supporting them in ways that they deserve, because they built this country, and, and we need to make sure that they're supported. Absolutely. And I like what you said, short-term memory about long-term care. I think that's really the gist of it. And I feel like a lot of this uh, public you know, interest in long-term care and seniors really came about as a result of COVID. And yeah. um, as we, as we kind of said, it's winding down, whatever that means. But I'm just wondering from your perspective, do you think that COVID is still an issue in um, seniors' health? And, and if not, what is the most pressing issue right now? I, I mean, I could tell you, um, and I spent a lot of time talking from talking to seniors from coast to coast to coast. Um, and there's three big. Uh, when I talk about seniors' issue, I, I put them in three big buckets, right? Like one of the one of the fundamental things I, I and as part of my job also is making sure there's financial security for them and that how do we strengthen that financial security and we have a number of things that we're doing as a federal government on that front the second piece is around aging at home i mean you know by 2051 quarter of the population is going to be 65 plus um and you know we can build as many hospitals or long-term care homes that we want but the reality is Hey, you talk to seniors, you tell them where they want to live. They want to live in their own homes that they built in the communities that they built them, you know, in, right? And 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 if you ask me, you know, when I'm, I don't know, 85, uh, where I want to end up in, I want, I want to be in my own home. And, you know, I think we all want to age in our own communities. So we're doing, so that's the second big, big uh, pillar that, that I work on. And the third is a long-term care piece, which is making sure there is a time when you cannot live um, in your own home and making sure that those supports are out there. So when I talk about aging at home and home care and what that looks like. So again, the federal government has uh, different things that, that, that we work on. So uh, delivery of care, you know, we have to give provinces uh, the tools to do that. So the billions of dollars with the now that we're negotiating with them, uh, $8 billion on home care that we're giving to provinces and territories. Um, We also have different tools. So we have uh, uh, this initiative called New Horizons for Seniors program, which is, uh, it actually funds close to 3,000 organizations across Canada every single year. And seniors love this program because they get to do different exciting things in their own communities. And one of the things, uh, you know, when, when you ask me, what are some of the most challenge, like what I hear from them is social isolation, right? Like COVID has been challenging for everyone, but the group that has impacted the most is seniors. And of course, we saw the tragedies in long-term care homes, but there's also, you know, the silent um, kind of pandemic that was happening was around mental health. And particularly when it came to seniors was was around social isolation. Um, And so the program, the New Horizons for Seniors program is designed to kind of um, uh, strengthen those senior serving organizations that provide that support, right? So, um, I met a lady, uh, I think it was just two weeks ago, uh, and, you know, 
I was telling her how, and she was telling me how this program really impacted her life. Right. Um, so she, through this program had a, had a mentor or a mentee. I can't really say because it was an intergenerational program. So she had a young girl who was supporting her, but, 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 but then in the other way, the, the young, young girl said that I was learning so much from, from the senior, right? So they were actually, so there was an intergenerational program where a young individual was teaching seniors how to use technology and, and, you know, so then she can stay in touch with her family. But now the senior said that she was so empowered by the technology uh, that she's actually able to have, uh, you know, set up her, uh, she says she's able to set up her doctor visits and other things just virtually. Like, I was like, how is it that you're doing that? And she was 85 years old, you know, first she like, it started off just as a, as a way to just keep in touch with her family uh, to make sure she's still engaged. And now she's actually using this to, you know, to, for her own health. And she said, I Uber eat stuff all the time. So I'm able to get the support that I need. Or, uh, and I was like, this is such a way, uh, what a neat way to actually empower seniors. Right. So I'm just giving you one little example of what 3,000 organizations do across this country to actually provide that support. We also have an, uh, another program that we just put forward, which, which is an Age While at Home initiative. And this is, again, around strengthening uh, senior serving organizations uh, that, that can help seniors stay in their own homes for as long as they need. You know, I spoke to a senior uh, and it was in Quebec and I said, you know, what is your biggest anxiety? Like, what is the biggest issue that, that you have? And he said, my biggest issue, and he was in this northern part of Quebec and said, my biggest issue is that I wish someone can come and shovel my snow. Like that is his biggest anxiety that actually prevents him from, you know, thinking, okay, maybe I can't live on my own. Um, or I hear that I wish someone can just drop off a good, healthy, nutritious meal for me, or that someone can pick up my prescription medications, right? So this is a program that we put forward that actually strengthens and, and um, uh, senior serving organizations on the ground to be able to give seniors that tool, uh, those tools to be able to stay in their communities longer. And one of the other things that we're doing is um, I have a national senior Council, which has members from uh, seniors themselves, but also experts uh, on on senior seniors care and others um, that that serve both myself and the Minister of Health, and we have now tasked them to look at what an aging at home benefit could look like. So there are different things that we're doing to support seniors stay in their own communities for for as long as they can, and um, because seniors want to age at home and they want to be in their communities. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of really great work that's been happening. And I think that, you know, again, you know, really increasing that access and also, of course, awareness of these programs will be very, very beneficial for seniors all across Canada. Um, I think the we, we have two more questions, so we're going to make sure that we, we get them in. We have a little bit of time left. Um, what do you think Canadians need to be aware of as we continue to age and um the other piece is just even thinking about um, how we can continue to be a part of the solution as, you know, nurses, as folks that are interested in healthcare. How can we, what are the things that we need to, to know about so we can be aware to continue to advocate for them? I think that's a really important question. And I think I'll start with what I, uh, with what I mentioned earlier on, which was around nurses, particularly, you know, being the largest workforce in Canada, like, I can't understate, like, how much our voices matter. And when we talk, people listen. Um, and I do mean that. 
And and I always think of, uh, you know, when we're taught to be advocates for our patients, I always think back to, uh, you know, being a new nurse, uh, being in a, uh, I was mentioning in an oncology unit, uh, you know, trying to deciding is the, do I need, should I call at 3 a.m. in the morning, like the, the physician on call, or should I not? Like, is this urgent enough? And and the, the answer is always just do it. Just do it, right? Like, um, always be the advocate for your patients at that front. And as a nurses, um, your voices matters. Uh, they, they matter so much on every level. When you talk about in settings such as within the institutions that you work in, they matter, uh, you know, when you when you're in a, a talking about and advocating for things that matter to you, like that's why, you know, I have a really good relationship with nursing unions and CNA and others because they really do amplify those voices. Um, and, and any opportunity that you can get, get involved, like get involved with your local organizations on the ground. Uh, I mean, look at you guys. I mean, you guys, and I would love to maybe at some point have just this conversation around like you're amplifying, amplifying those voices. Um, you're talking about issues that matter to Canadians and to health, to healthcare. Um, and that takes courage too, right? Like that takes a lot of courage um, to do what you do. But this is, but I'm not surprised because you're two amazing nurses that do this. Um, but but I think it's about every opportunity that you can get to get involved because when nurses talk, people listen. Um, and I think when we put our heads together, as I mentioned, being like the largest workforce uh, in our healthcare, uh, what we say matters. Like it really does. Um, so get involved, get involved in any way that you can. Uh, write to your local politicians and of different parties, get involved with different parties because it's so, um, you know, and you probably talk, and, and you probably heard this, you know, when people talk about, oh, politics isn't for me. Well, everything that we do is politics. A hundred percent. You know, yep. from your... <laughs> <laughs> from from getting your uh, lawn cut to, uh, or sorry, getting your garbage removal sort of things, getting, you know, at the municipal level, your roads, the infrastructure, your healthcare, your education, everything is politics. And I think it's so important to get involved, to use your democratic right uh, to vote uh, for at different levels, because we are the change that we want to see. Like we really are. And, and, and until we um, get involved and use our voices to talk about things that matter to us, I mean, no one else would listen then. Right. Like, so we, I, I think that that's fundamentally extremely important for me. And I do share this with particularly at all the colleges and universities that I visit nurses on, because this is a workforce, like we're everywhere. We are literally everywhere, um, and that the experiences that we that we bring to the table, no one else can. And and I can tell you, sitting at a cabinet table, uh, when policies are made, and I just look at people and say, no, that's not how it's going to work in the reality in a healthcare workforce, right? Like, uh, what we say and what, and I think the experiences that we bring is so valuable that I think. Uh, it, it, it matters. It, it matters on every board. It matters at every le level um, of government. Uh, so get involved as well. What I'll 
kind of leave you with at the in the end. Absolutely, and I think that um, when when I think of you know um, one voice actually does make a big difference. You're a perfect example of that. Our podcast is a perfect example of that. Using advocacy, tying healthcare and politics together. I think these are all really great things, and I really wanted to thank you for being so inspirational today in your message. And I certainly learned a lot. I know Amy did as well. Um, is there any anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap up for today? Well, I'll just say, look, continue doing what you're doing because the conversations that you're having are so important. They're so instrumental in kind of fixing the damage that this pandemic caused, but also preparing our healthcare for the future. Um, and I think educating people about what different levels of governments do, educating people how they can, you know, use their voices to be um, talking about things that, that matter to them, issues. And, you know, I was just briefly looking at all the issues that you guys talk about. I mean, you guys talk about everything and anything, which is so important. Um, I think those those things matter. Um, and I would love to perhaps, you know, come on at any other time and we can talk about something else, a particular one topic, if you guys want to talk about. Um, but I think just use your voice uh, and and to, to the both of you, really thank you for uh, all that you do. Uh, I know you're both uh, active nurses as well and you do this and so many other things in between and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of courage. Um, uh, as And I can tell you to be two strong women uh, to be doing what you do. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me and uh, I'd love to come back and chat some more when we get an opportunity to do so. Absolutely. You touched on that you do some work in uh, reproductive, sexual reproductive. So definitely we'll have to have you talking about that because that's such a hot topic um, in Canada, in the U.S., all around the world. But again, yes, thank you, Honorable Kamal, for coming on and uh, talking to us at the Green Nurse Podcast. Absolutely. And um, for all of you listeners, thank you for tuning into the Green Nurse Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube or you're listening to one of uh, our podcast platforms, make sure that you subscribe, like, and leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening and coming on. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.